You know you're a surveyor when your eyes are drawn like magnets to the roof and chimney defects while you're in a friend's garden at a barbecue. You're not alone, my friend. Welcome to the Surveyor Hub with me, Marion Ellis. In this podcast, I'm chatting with Jeff Hunt, building surveyor and author about his career journey from being in the trades to becoming a specialist building surveyor. His reflections on working with Malcolm Hollis and engaging with customers. Jeff is a volunteer admin for the Facebook group and I continue to be inspired by his enthusiasm for surveying and the creativity he brings to his work. I really enjoyed having a good chat with him in this podcast. As ever, I'd love to hear your feedback. So please do rate, review and follow the podcast. It really does make a difference to help spread the word about the work we do as surveyors and the difference we make in the world. So today I'm really pleased to welcome to the podcast my good friend, Jeff Hunt. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Who people can't see because obviously this is a podcast, but he looks terrified <laughs> thinking what's gonna what you gonna say now what's what she gonna say what what is gonna happen introduce yourself jeff to people who don't know you okay so first things first it's my name jeff hunt and i practice in somerset and i specialize in uh, pre-war enlisted buildings uh really fascinated about people's journeys and why they use buildings the way they do and i've done a work for myself as a chartered surveyor, building surveyor. I've done a bit of lecturing, worked in and out in all sorts of different industries, started out as a carpenter, and uh, basically worked my way through to where I am today, really. I've researched the architect's timeline, which I hope quite a lot of listeners have got. It's being used by quite a lot of universities now, so I'm very pleased that people also see the need for the defects timeline. And I've also written a book, managed to write a book, which is quite amazing, really. <laughs> I don't know how I managed that. <laughs> There's so many questions in there that I want to pick out to find out more about you. We met, I think you met for the first time over a year or so ago now at um, one of the Blue Box Road shows. Yeah, yeah. We held up in... Um, down a mine, if I remember right. We went down the mine, yeah. Where was it? I want to say Warrington, but it's not the right place. Just mining, really? wasn't it? Mm. Wakefield. Wakefield, Wakefield yeah. And um, yeah, we had um, a great little event just before lockdown when it all all kicked off and we had it recorded which was which was fab and the day before we went down the mine i'd never done anything like that before i've never been, i've never been down a mine before now i've been in a sewer been in a great big sewer in fact the one they filmed the italian job in i don't know if anybody's seen that but the the minis that went round in the in the tunnels that was filmed yeah that, 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 city sewers, that was filmed that sounds like a posh fancy sewer <laughs> not a <laughs> it, well, it, it was being built yeah, it had just been completed. And uh, I worked for the city engineers at the time, so we w- we went down it. And it's vast. It's huge. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, I had visions of something much more gross, but, <laughs> but there no. you go. Ah, ah, ah. Well, they say if you go down in a sewer, the first thing to do is keep your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. But it was quite an experience going down a, a proper coal mine. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. Absolutely fascinating. And the, the volunteer guys who who take you down with all the kit... There was um there was just four of us, wasn't there? Phil yeah. Parnham was in his element. Yes. And, uh, Leslie Milson as yeah. well. 
followers went yeah. down. It was a, yeah. it was great. So, and I've always been inspired by your enthusiasm, Jeff. That you're the way that you you come across. You're one of our uh, Surveyor Hub admins. Surveyor Hub is our Facebook group for surveyors. For those of you who've not come across it, and you regularly post on different things you've seen, different views of things. Yeah. You know, and, um, yeah always quite inspired by the the things that you you do so let's let's just go back then because you 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 mentioned that you started out as a as a carpenter yeah so how yeah so you know how what why well I I don't think I was expected to achieve anything academically terribly so you know when I said I was going to be a carpenter and work with my hands I think everybody jumped to that and thought oh great the kids thought something to do so pretty much left to get on with that. So oh, I um, and why was that? Did you just not enjoy school or no? I I sort of did all right. I went to a sort of bog standard comp. I just don't think there was any aspiration at all to do anything to go in those days. You know, if you went to university, you were like a you were like a brain box. So I've said I wasn't really I wasn't terribly academic at school. wasn't necessarily all that interested in in things I should have been interested in. But I was doing all right. You know, I was just bumbling along. And uh, I just figured that carpentry would would be good. Fancy that my grandfather had been a builder, so I thought, well, there you go. If he, if he can do it, I can do it. And uh, so yeah, when I when I got myself an apprenticeship, and um, yeah, I'm down as one of the Coventry apprentice boys now, which is quite a historic thing. Apparently, the history of Coventry apprentices is uh, quite a historical thing. So I've now got the freedom of the city of Coventry now, isn't it? Oh wow! As an apprentice. Yeah, yeah. I have to notify the Lord Mayor of any any uh, threats against the Queen, and I can uh, graze my cattle on the common if I want to. So uh, that sounds yeah. like one of those. <laughs> that sounds like a great answer to one of those questions you get asked. Tell me something about yourself that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I hate that question. I hate that yeah. question in any training. But so how yeah. did uh, so what kind of things did you do in carpentry then? Was that carving nice little animals was that fitting kitchens was that uh yeah no I started out uh, sort of shop fitting and exhibition work so it was more on the on the joinery side really we, we were making cabinets and, and all sorts of joinery for exhibition stands and, and shop fitting and things like that so we used to sort of go around great exhibition halls around the country putting in things I had to make a replica of a tube tunnel which was quite something we had to do so it was like what's called circle on circle work where you're doing sort of curves upon curves and uh setting that out with a with a guy it just just blew my mind how he did it you know it was just incredible and uh, it all fitted in perfectly did a little bit of site work as well after that because the problem was in that era sort of 1980s sort of the unemployment and the, the work situation was not good in the construction industry it would have been sacked in fact apprenticeships were coming to an end really uh they'd introduced the the yts scheme uh, which was the youth training scheme or the youth termination scheme as it became known. And apprenticeships pretty much disappeared. Mm. You know, apprentices became just commodities. And um, yeah, that's a very, that, I think that was the start of a very bad turning point in the industry, I personally think. But, um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And, and what well, then, so how did you, um, you know, so the move over to surveying the jump from carpentry to surveying how did that happen? yeah well I mean I I moved I was very lucky that that you know a lot of my employers wanted me to progress they wanted me to go through into sort of uh, supervision and stuff like that so that was great so I went on to do other courses sort of my city and guild supervisory and then on to HNC and then I got made redundant and so 
had to pick up the pieces of that. And then I sort of transferred to civil engineering. I went to work as a civil engineering technician. And then I, I did a rather sneaky thing, actually. I told my employer I was doing the, the civil engineering units of my diploma, when in fact I wasn't. I'd signed up for the construction ones. And uh, so I sort of cheated a little bit there. But I had done a few uh, civil engineering units. And obviously, you know, I learned a lot about surveying, you know, land surveying and drainage and all sorts for that and highways, which has actually turned out to be very, very useful information. And uh, yeah, then I think, you know, it's sort of great change happened in my life. I had sort of been married and that all sort of fell apart. So as you do, you sort of have to pick yourself back up and almost like reinvent yourself, I suppose. And I, and I, and I felt at that point, you know, I need to have something to focus on. And it was just a passing comment. Somebody said, uh, I bumped into somebody, one of my former students, and he said, oh, I'm going to be doing a degree in building surveying at Reading. And it was just this massive penny drop, this huge, I thought, that sounds fabulous. That sounds absolutely brilliant. Why don't I do that? So um, that's what I went and did. So I just jumped at it, really. So, so was that you were as a mature student? I was, yeah. I went yeah. in my early 30s, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. managed to get uh, some sort of uh, grant, grant, yeah, which was really even then it was that was pretty remote, and I and you know I didn't have any responsibilities at that time, so I went for it. So it was a great experience, really great experience. Mm. I come across a lot of surveyors who have studied part time, who have earned their trade, and it yeah. sounds like you've built yeah. up actually a lot of resilience and knowledge through that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, yeah, part of it is that, you know, I've, I've never, you know, I've, I've worked my way through everything. I've worked and I've earned everything. and I've paid for my own qualifications. I paid for my own graduation, you know, paid for it all. And so it's, and it's, so for me, it's a very, very important thing because, you know, I suppose you are told these are very important things to achieve and very important things to get. And they make sure that it's very difficult to achieve. So, <laughs> you know, you, you, once you've achieved it, you, um, yeah, you realise what a, what a major achievement that is in your life. But I'm, I'm fascinated now that there's so so many routes in and around. You know, people are coming to me saying, "Oh, I'm doing this route. Can you help me do that?" And I'm thinking, oh, "Crikey, I didn't know you could do it that way." So, yeah, it's always always a learning curve, isn't it? It is, and and, and part of that, I guess, is making it more accessible. To different people although I did I did come across a an online course in building surveying that was something like 50 quid online yeah <laughs> um really yeah. um yeah. you know there's, there's a balance of making these things more accessible to people it but is. equally you know there's got to be the the depth and breadth and the skill and the knowledge yeah I think one thing I sort of set out I don't like people that talk that really you you figure out quite quickly they don't know what they're talking about and I think you I don't think you deserve the right to stand in front of me and that's just something I've carried with me and one thing I've always thought if I wanted to talk about something I, I had to do it from the bottom up so so actually really coming from the trade side is important to me but now I realize that you know there are different perspectives you know you can come at things from different perspectives and people can have different skills at different things you don't have to do this work from the bottom up necessarily to suggest that you can or cannot do something and you know that's as I've grown older I've sort of seen that as a you know I, you know I think as you get older you can get a bit bit over grumpy about things yeah, <laughs> like that's, 
That's a really interesting observation because I come across a lot of surveyors who feel, yes, it needs to be hard-earned. I had a post on LinkedIn. I can't even remember what it was was about now. I have that many. But (laughs) (laughs) where I jibber-jabber about all all kinds of things. I think it was to do with, um, is there a a crisis in mentoring for for trainees? Because... I get contacted by so many people looking for mentors. Yeah. You know, and I, I can't, in the work that I now do, I, I'm not there to, I can't help them, uh, you know, certainly on a technical front. And somebody had commented basically, well, well, I found it hard, just get on with it, <laughs> you know? But things are so very different. And just because we found it hard to get qualified, to train, to get the experience, doesn't mean it has we have to pass the pain on no. and it's not giving someone else an easier ride it's no. helping them thrive much better and it's yeah and i agree it's interesting when you see people come from different sectors come in at different levels it doesn't mean they're not capable they just no. got a different skill set but that's one of the exactly. things that makes surveying so diverse is that particularly I think with within sort of the residential side I, I see it is people come in from different sectors and they're mature students and they've probably yeah. run a business before in some way shape or form and so yeah. they've got a you know a particular skill set and level and, and, and capability that someone who's just qualified and you know is going through the ranks and working through their APC just doesn't have it's just life mature life experience and maturity and that is absolutely yeah. essential when you're dealing with residential, when you're walking into people's homes yeah. and seeing yeah. all sorts, yeah. quite frankly, you know? Yeah. I mean, in the segregated and siloed world of the RICS, you know, when I say to some other fellow building surveyors, you know, what you do? And I say, well, I, I do pre-purchase service. They go, oh, you're in resi. What are you doing there? Yeah. Because I, <laughs> I like it. You know, it's, it's to do with, you know, period property buildings and stuff like that. And so there is this kind of like, what are you even doing paddling around in someone else's paddling pool? You know, what what are you doing there? And uh, I have to be aware of that, that I don't do the same thing, you know, because, you know, it's in, you know what are you doing here? That's something that, you you know, it's, it's easy to say, but I think if something's been difficult in your life, I guess you can overcompensate that no one else should do it. And, th- and I think the point is I got helped a lot. I got helped by a lot of people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. didn't need to help me. You know, they could have just gone, oh, please, could you just go away? And they didn't. They said, yeah, sure, come in and have a chat and we'll sort something out. And there were people that have been very generous with their time for me. So And it's and that, it's that um it you know it's that pay it forward, you know, that we all we all say we want to give back, but then we actually need to do it. But it's also a case of now we know we do better. We can yeah. always, always do better. It's interesting you yeah. saying there about um, you know, what silo of surveyor. <laughs> that that you are i was looking at some numbers a couple of months ago and it was you know it was a split of surveyors and what category what pathway they sit in and when i think about the surveyors who hang out in the surveyor hub there's actually quite a few who are commercial you know, there's a few qs yeah. there are some that call themselves building surveyors some that call themselves valuers yeah. and yet they all do resi yeah. in some way shape or form yeah and so you know, it's quite hard to, you say, well, what's your first primary type of surveying? What's your secondary? Yeah. And Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I would yeah. say for myself, it's a mix of, you know, the valuation, the residential, and then a bit of the yeah. surveying. And yet my pathway when I qualified was planning and development. Yeah. You know, 
yeah, so right. we we all come at it from huge things that is such a broad church you know surveying and even construction i mean i remember i had a le- lecturer when i was a chippy saying you know if you get bored of construction he says you're you, you're doing it wrong you know you can hop around in all sorts of places and i do think of that when i you know talk to people sort of in my sort of peer group that have done other professions they can get stuck Mm. can't really get stuck in construction you can always go off and do lots of other things you can apply lots of different things and you know it's fascinating to listen to people and you know when you listen to people on the hub that have come from different things saying well of course it's this and you go crikey I never (laughs) never knew that you know fancy having that knowledge base and um I think that is the fascinating thing, isn't it? You know, every day is a school day. No, no one can really stand up and say they're an expert, can they? Not, not really. Well, yeah, and that's an interesting point about being an expert in one thing. And I come across a lot of spades in the coaching that I do who want to diversify and want to get involved in different things, but they've got themselves, their skill sets, you know, their business so narrow in all I do, for example, is pre-purchase surveys. Yeah. That they're actually terrified to try and do something else because they don't know yeah. how they don't know what's yeah. possible yeah. usually yeah. Yeah. and they don't have the confidence because they don't feel no. a good enough surveyor as if we ever ever any of us yeah. feel a good yeah, exactly. enough surveyor exactly. yeah not- i think this is why going on my own you know i do challenge myself to go into yeah. different avenues to do that and yeah i rushed out as, as you have said to me as my mentor rush down rabbit holes and yeah i do rush down rabbit holes but i actually kind of like it you know um, yeah yeah, it's sometimes knowing, you think, it's knowing that what am I doing down this rabbit hole? <laughs> yeah, it's knowing that you're doing it. You know, it's knowing that you yeah. need shiny things to keep you interested and, and understand what motivates you at the, the yeah. end of the day. So yeah. tell me yeah. about... I think, um, I think ultimately you do learn that and you need people to help you focus. That's for one thing. So if you've got a creative mind, you do need people around you to go, oh, look over there, you know, you, you know, it's keep focused. And and I find certainly the, the one thing I find fascinating about Spain is the different way people think about things. It's so fascinating how some people have got immensely analytical minds. They've got photographic memories. They can remember lists. You know, they've got Im- immense amount of storage capacity. Other people just work on intuition and that it's just amazing the way they just think, oh, hang on, I think it's that. And they're bang on, you know, and you think, mm. well, that's amazing. And how people can turn around reports and things like that, you know, they just got amazing linguistic skills that can explain most complicated things in such an easy way. Yeah, see, I, think, see, I think here, you see, I think here that's down to mastery of being a, a master of your skill set, that intuition. You know, it's everything you've learned yeah. and taught in your experience that gets you to today. And to do a yeah, job, you need yeah. the technical knowledge, but you also need the wisdom to know what to do in the yeah, moment. And, and to do that, you need to have that confidence. You need to have that learned experience, that reassurance. Yeah. So it's really... And that's what yeah, you're good at, Marion. You're, you're good at the guidance thing. You're good, at, you're good at sweeping that thing and pushing it in the right direction for people. And I find that very, very useful. It's, it's, uh, I, don't know. I don't know how. <laughs> well, I don't know. But you've got we all have skill. superpowers, Jeff. <laughs> yeah 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 you're also good at live broadcast as well <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know about that I don't know about that <laughs> and anybody who will ever have listened to any of my jibber jabbers as I now call them so Jeff tell me about you know, how did you get into then sort of the, your teaching work writing books those kind of things because you, you know, if you started off thinking you know will I ever become anything? Will I do anything? You sort of qualified as, as a surveyor. You talked about the help that you you got. But what made you think that 
you wanted to do that kind of thing or believe that you could? Well, I think I'm, I mean, I've always had a like creative side. I, you know, as a hobby, I do sort of um, acting and directing and writing plays and things. So I've always sort of had a creative side. And I guess it's when you bump into people that are also surveyors that also have a creative side and how they do it, you start thinking, oh, I think I could do that. And um, and other times, you know, little leads crop up, don't they? And, And you think, actually, I think I'll give that a go. And I'd always got involved with RICS things because I always believed in you only get out of things what you put into them. And so I, had, I was on a few of the boards and things like that and got to chat, to, again, to people from amazing breadths and sizes of organisations. And, you know, the opportunity came up to write this book. And uh, they said, would you be interested in writing this book? This is from the RICS. And I said, um, oh, OK, well, send me, the, send me the, the outline. So they sent me this outline and I took a look at it. And I said, well, okay, well, I'll do the building pathology and and, and the roofing and the historical bit. Uh, I said, because I, I assume you don't want me to write it all. Ha, ha, ha. And I literally wrote <laughs> that. They wrote back going, actually, we do. We would, have, we would like you to write it all. And I kind of went, oh, my goodness. And at the time, I was working on a project with Malcolm Hollis. And, oh, um, yeah. yeah, that's how I knew him. And I said to him, I know you've done a book, Malcolm, which like saying to Malcolm, like you're thinking, oh, you've I done this book, you've written which a book. Is, <laughs> which is the best-selling, and every yeah, yeah, yeah. About the it. biggest book, yeah. I didn't tell him that I'd stolen a copy of his book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I did actually pay for a copy one time, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I had freely downloaded it when I worked for a local authority on their thing, all 400 pages of it, one lunchtime. And um, I don't know if I should be admitting that, <laughs> anyway, I suppose it's some, some kind of flattery. You know, people value your book if they're stealing it. That's what I was told. Um, <laughs> and he said, uh, and he said, well, don't necessarily do it for the money. He says, you won't, you won't make a fortune out of it. It's a very niche market. He said, but it is good for the kudos and it's good for the brain. You know, it's really good process. And, you know, he said, I, I, you know, I really strongly recommend you do it because I think you can approach it from a different way. You know, because I'd spoken to him about the timeline and, and how really surveyors approach buildings. The first thing you do is you look at a building, you think, well, how old is it? And that tells you everything. And if you can read a building and map it out differently. So I thought, well, there's an opportunity of trying to write a book in a way that I think that, that people who think that my way too, that it can benefit them as well. That by just looking at, I didn't do it as a defects book in order of, it's this defect and that. I did, well, look in time. What were the defects at the time? Because when you look at a building, that's exactly what you're doing in practice. You're thinking, oh, crikey, this is from the 1950s. You know, we've got to look out for screeds and asbestos and funny concrete blocks. And you've automatically discarded a lot of stuff because of what you're looking at. So you're not cluttered with this, oh, is that chapter five of that book or chapter two? And um, I deliberately didn't make it over technical it really is about a roadmap and that's what i thought would be my contribution to for people who've got similar thinking methods to me and i've had lots of students come back and say oh, you know i've read it from cover to cover and i've actually used it to to help inform my practice the way i go about thinking whilst i'm surveying and that's brilliant because i think that's what i wanted i wanted that like, almost artistic feel that people recognize that you're thinking differently and I, that's what i quite like that I it's also a verification to me saying well, well there are people that think the same way as you too and um they also think that they might have been a bit stupid and couldn't do it and you know they're not a good surveyor and how come everybody else can write surveys better than me you know and 
And I think that's a very uh, interesting thing. So that suited my creative side. Yeah, and, and I think that probably resonates, you know, we were just talking about how people come at things from different angles. Mm. You know, the most sort of logical way of writing things in the past doesn't yeah. mean it's the right way way now. I also think, and something that we've talked about a lot on the podcasts that I've done is, is uh, neurodiverse challenges and dyslexia. Yeah. And that can mean, you know, lots of different things to lots of different people. It's such a broad, you know, yeah. broad subject. But ultimately, it's the way we process information, articulate mm. it, and, and yeah. fight it out the, the other end. And I reckon yeah, yeah, that yeah. probably, you know, that will that will absolutely come into it. So, with your your book, then, is that where the the timeline came in? And can you explain to people what the timeline is? Yeah, the t- the timeline came out of of a need for me to be able to map out like the history of defects. I thought surely somebody somewhere must have done this because it's such an important part of stringing together all this information. And I'd done my degree and I'd done all my apprenticeships and I'd done all that and my head was full of facts and figures. And yet the more you looked at these facts and figures, the more you knew, you realised you had to know. You have to know in this extraordinary amount. And, you know, some graduate for coming to me, how do you remember all this? And I go, well, actually, I don't. I don't remember all that. What I remember is, what are the important threads? What are the important alarm bells? What are the important things that, if you put them together, think, hang on a minute, this can't be right. That's, in essence, whilst you're out there on the day-to-day thing, that's what you've got to practice. You've got to add up all the evidence. You don't just look at it one compartment at a time. And uh, I thought, well, surely somebody must have done a chart which shows you how all these things link, like the way, you know, the way in which solid walls, walls of moved the way chimneys have have come and gone and foundations the type of foundations we might be expecting and no one had done it I couldn't find it anywhere so I had to create it myself and I I found some academic papers where they had done timelines of some uh, Burkle had done had done timelines of vernacular progress of buildings and I thought his his work was very interesting so I, I just extended that really and I looked at the London Underground I've always been very impressed with the London Underground map and I remember being a bit inspired by there was an exhibition at, at Reading Uni, and it was Harry Beck who, who who developed that graphic. And the whole idea was to simplify the network. And the London Underground is nothing like the network, not like anything like it. But what he realised was that you just need to know the the relationship between the stations to know how to get there. You don't need to know their actual physical location. And that was the spark. That's what made me think I need to do a graphic that people can just look at and just go, do you know what that, you know, look how all that interlinks. So the timeline was born and, and I developed it and I tried to do it as, a, as an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> but, and then I realised I had to go to a graphic designer. So I sat down with this wonderful graphic designer and they mapped it all out for me. So um, but for me, the timeline and... And thinking about buildings and the defects and the way that they were constructed and things is very much about storytelling. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. the story of a building. It's the story of, well, and what then? What happened next? And what was the consequences? Yeah. And, you know, what was the curveball that, that came in? So it's very much about yeah. like, storytelling rather than the logical yeah, oh, size of it. And it, it, says, it says a lot about the history of, of this nation. I mean, the history of mm. Brickmate is the history of the United Kingdom, really. I mean, they have different sized bricks up north to down south. You know, yeah. There's a different age brick, and, and the brick tax was used to fund 
our fight in the civil war in America. But the industry fought back. It just changed the size of the bricks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they changed the tax again. And sure enough, we changed the sizes of the bricks again. And, you know, so it's a brilliant thing. And you, you can tell a lot by the brick bond of a building. It's one of the key things to look for. So it says, tells you so much. And, you know, these are things that, that I think consumers and homeowners are interested in, but we never really put in any report because we're too busy thinking about, you know, Well, you might not, Marion. <laughs> but, you know, it's those are the things that can make you feel really good about a property and that attachment, that emotional attachment that, that consumers yeah. have. Yeah, I love the way people use their buildings. I, I worked for two university estates departments and like when you look out over a university campus, it's a little bit like looking at a mushroom farm. The biggest mushroom is the most successful department because they can get the revenue in. At, at a university. There was at a university, yeah. So if you look at a university <laughs> campus, you look at the shiniest, newest building. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other great thing is, of course, all the, all the professors and all the deans want their name on the front of their shiny building. So um, that's always the next biggest thing. So to them, that's their entire career. And and different buildings are shaped differently because of the way they want them to work. And so even when you look at different buildings on something like a university campus, you can see their shape and their structure and their status is important because that and that's what explains everything. And, and the way people want to buy their houses, I think, is exactly the same. You know, you, you hear people saying, oh, we want to retire to a country cottage. And that's a lovely image, isn't it? But, you know, the risks of buying a cob-thatched cottage, you know, your your dream is soon going to fall apart, mate, you know, if if that's what you think. But um, I think it's important to recognise why people want it. And one of the best bits of advice I ever got from Malcolm was understand what your client wants from the report. And if you can write that in the first sentence, you've nailed it. And that, for me, just speaks to customer experience and... It's more than a transactional report, you know, what yeah, we oh, provide for people. Absolutely. And I, and I think the value in so what the, the, the things that people value in surveys is their surveyor. And it's a service you're providing, one of the components of which is a survey. Mm. Um, and I think that's what people come to value. Yeah, there's, there's, there's times when people are moving so fast, they, they want us quite succinct, you know, not the nail on the head survey, which is great. That's not my specialism. I can't really do that. But people are fascinated about the history of the building. They want the thrill and the challenge of being in a listed building, maybe, or it's a project house, or it's the first time they've moved, first-time buyers, or people that are retiring, people that have had Mm -hmm. big changes in their lives and doing something for the first time. They need a lot of hand-holding because they're very nervous. They've not not experienced it before in their lives, and it's a very nerve-wracking thing for them. So to be able to hold their hands at that time, I think, is great, and it's a great honour to be to do that. So surveyors don't really get any kind of training on that, though. So you get trained and qualified in all the, the geeky surveying technical stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, how yeah. to have an emotional connection with your client, with your customer? You know, helping somebody who's going through a or interacting with someone who's going through, you know, who might have been widowed and now needs to downsize, is mm. going through a divorce, yeah. is a first-time buyer yeah. who has never bought before. How to empathise with somebody is yeah. really, really hard, particularly, you know, when a lot of surveyors actually haven't bought and sold a house themselves. Because not everybody no. is rolling in cash here. No. 
not every surveyor is a property investor. Not every right. surveyor has has downsized or done extensions and things. And I think it's quite a big ask to for surveyors to engage with customers in in that way. And when I've dealt with complaints and claims over the years, there's lots of things that I've I've learned on that. But it, that emotional connection and empathy is absolutely mm. vital because you then meet your client at that point. Mm. And I remember when I ran a sales team um, who were selling surveys and I'd say to them, be excited. Someone just bought their first house and say, yes, that's amazing. Yeah, This is how we're going to yeah, have yeah. This is what we can do, you know, rather yeah. than, yeah. Right, okay, here's the terms and conditions and here's what you need to do yeah. and, oh, and all of those things. It's like, yeah. God, yeah. you know what? It's just because it's scary doesn't mean everybody has to act scared. We can show emotion yeah. and, yeah, and get excited yeah. about yeah. things. I mean, the most, the most common question I get asked by a client is, um, well, will it fall down? Well, that's what they, they kind of say. That's all I want to know. Will it fall down? I've learned the answer now is to be a little bit cheeky back and go, do you know what? You don't need a surveyor to tell you that. It will be obvious if it falls down. So I said, if you think it's going to fall down, you know, don't just, just don't buy it. I said, but what you might want to know is, can I extend it? Is there going to be anything there? You know, you were talking about, you're wanting to expand the house. Is that something you're interested in? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, what about if I put that in the survey, how that's going to work? And that's the and, thing is they don't really know what questions to ask. They don't. No, no. Yeah, and so I, they just and the more, Yeah, the more questions they ask. I sometimes get people, they're quite analytical people, and they send this massive, great big list about what they want to know about the building. <laughs> you know, will you check this? Will you check that? Will there, There's a tree in the backyard. What does that mean? I want to know about that. And they go, yeah, great, fine, bring it on. That's exactly what I want to know. And uh, you can say, yes, I can answer that question, or no, I can't answer that question, or have you considered a way in which we can, which we can do that? And it's just fascinating what people find the most important thing i had one person saying, i really want you to look under the bath i and i was going okay fine uh, any particular reason we have had such a problem with the bath and the shower in this house he says i do not want to move into another house and have a problem with the plumbing in the bath so i said well okay i'll phone up the vendor and ask if we can look under the bath so what do you do about scope then because i i come across and you'll have seen it in the hub where there are surveyors who say, well, that's outside of scope, that's outside of my terms, that's outside what yeah. the RICS says we shouldn't shouldn't do. Yeah. But if it's a if it's something that's important to a client, but the, the, mm. I think the key thing is to ask, well, why do they need to know? And that bath, you know, is a great example yeah. because yeah. that's where I've had yeah. problems before. Yeah. And this is the the fears and worries that I've had. And you can do it. Most of the time, you can do these things. You can check these things. Yeah. And people just get so worried about this sort of scope. Well, I'm not meant to lift this, that, and the other. I'm not meant to unscrew yeah. this, that, and the other. Yeah. There are ways around these things, really. There are, yeah. I think that it's the psychology and the background of every professional surveyor, isn't it, that you're going to get charged at by some clever solicitor that's going to say, oh, well, you shouldn't have done that. And they start bashing you over the head with the RICS guidance and you... And it does have a psychological effect on you. And, and again, that's the useful thing of the hub. You can see people's attitudes to that. And some people go, no, come on, come on, come on. You know, do your surveying job. You know, express your opinion. Don't be afraid to express your opinion. Uh, you know, being negligent is not, a, is not about saying, I think it's not going to do this. That's not negligence. And so people want our opinion. People want, and you should develop your skills so that you're confident to give your opinion and, and, and explain why you've come to that conclusion. You're you're perfectly allowed to do that. Mm. But yeah, I think I've done like a menu because I thought, you know, when you're sat at a restaurant, you can 
you know, if you if you if you if you looked at the RSS guidance for a restaurant, you know, you you say right, you have to serve your customers every single dish, <laughs> you know, whether they like it or not. You know, you've got to serve them all this, all all the starters, all the mains, all the puddings, and then chuck all the drinks at them, and then say, there you are, that's a level three server. <laughs> you know, you know, if the RSS ever ran a restaurant, you know, it'd be a, be a nightmare, those, wouldn't it? One of those uh, fancy taster menus with fourteen courses with yeah, four hundred <laughs> dishes in it, yeah. And yeah, so I thought, well, what I do is I think, well, I, I don't want a starter because I'm not that hungry. And I have people who are, you know, they come to me going, well, I'm an electrician. I don't want, I don't need you to tell me about the electrics or I'm going to rewire it. Don't honestly, don't talk about it. And I'll go, all right, well, I'll, I'll knock that out. So I've, I've done a, like a menu and I ask them to tick it. And I you say, well, you can, and, and, and certain of them have prices set against them. So they can control their budget. Yeah, I, I have I have run into trouble with that. I did I did run into trouble with one of my surveys, and you know the experts on the other side were going, "Well, he's saying this is a level three, and so therefore he should have said that." And it clearly said in my terms and conditions, "I will not check that. I will not comment on it." And um, yeah, I had quite a bit of a battle on my hands there. But this is the thing, isn't it? It's the you know what's expected at a certain level and what's the departure from or what are the additional yeah. whistles and bells that you that you add yeah. on but key to yeah. all of that is the discussion that you have and the conversations you have with your yeah. client not just at the start but also afterwards oh, you know when we do I this yeah and we do this sort of debrief of this is what I will and won't do and a lot of surveyors actually do it quite badly they just say read the terms tick the box yeah. But we know yeah. that most people don't read and understand terms. And we do that ourselves with, you know, the whole sort of click, you know, as particularly yeah. as things have automated. But also when we get the report, that sort of debrief afterwards. And that's why that customer experience is so, so important. And we shouldn't see it as just a transactional report. Here are the things that I can, that I do. Here are the things that I don't do but that we really just engage with our customers, not manage their expectations. I hate that saying, but really engage with our customers all the way through because there's multiple opportunities where you can clarify, where you can talk to them about it, reinforce what you've done, why you've done what you did, why you didn't go further and help them find the right experts if that's what they need. You know, it's that whole engagement piece and it, it just doesn't happen for lots of different reasons. I think you're right. There's a real fear culture, you know, mm. fear of being sued. We all know about the big, scary cases, but really in the scheme of it, it's a small, yeah. small number, it small, is. small yeah. number that yeah. will happen. We need to approach these things, you know, approach this in a positive, do the best job that you can do rather than how can I get away with not being sued? Yes, yes. I completely agree with that. It is about... Good, you know, I'm on a rant. <laughs> on the, yeah, yeah, it's a fabulous rant. I care about well. it, you can tell. <laughs> I do, I do. I, you, I love your rants. They're great. They're great, yeah. And I, I absolutely agree with you, and, and I absorb that completely because I have been a bit guilty of it myself. I have been guilty of that. Right, okay, so you tried to get me for that. I'm now going to write a small print in my caveat to make sure that never happens again. And you get all kind of feisty and kind of, how dare you, you know, and all that sort of, do you know who I am and all that sort of rubbish. And uh, you, before you know it, you've I'm a professional. Half- I've written a book. Yes. <laughs> yes, I've written a book, you know, you know, you know, I've got a beard and a bald head and, you know, there you go. But I absolutely agree. And you do need, and, and I think the important thing for surveyors who are working on their own is you do, you do need something like the hub and you do need other people to help you through those things because otherwise you end up steering down this line of, 
you know, I've, I've just caveated myself up to the eyeballs and um, woe betide anybody that tries to beat me on that because you've suddenly pulled yourself away from your client. You're not walking with your client at all. You know, you're just, you just created a cage around yourself. Exactly. But I think there is a very re- real reason why that happens because when I had a claim, I took it so personally. I took it so badly. It really did shake me. It shook me to the core that now I was being almost like professionally attacked by a professional argumentative group of people and the really strange thing is is when i tried to sort it out with the person he said it's nothing personal i haven't made this a claim against you for anything personal and i felt like saying to him it is personal it's very personal it's my entire career it's my entire life it's everything i've come to be um but then i thought to myself well no jeff you know you're a human being you make mistakes and what you did is you protected your client because you do have insurance and now you do have people that can sort that out mm. and that's going to happen. And that's what happens when you're a professional surveyor. Park it and move on. And, you know, I think I learned an awful lot about that, about parking things and making sure you don't expend angry energy in places where it's not going to help you. You know, it's you've got to move, you've got to move on and move forward and, and be as the same surveyor you were before the incident to your new clients as you were before, because that is the value of it. Don't express yourself as, as this surveyor entity. You, you're still you, and that's what people want. And that that being a surveyor has got vulnerabilities, and you've got to figure out what they are and make sure you you present them in in, in a way that, that is still value to people. So, And, and you, you mentioned there about speaking to others and having that network of support of other mm-hmm. surveyors that you can reach out to and... You know, the more you talk to people, the more you find that experiences are common, not that everybody's had secret claims, you know, not that everybody talks about it, but, you know, in how to handle certain situations, yeah. particularly when you work for yourself and running a running your business by yourself, the, the yeah. pressures that you have and the, the different dynamics are just so, so different from a corporate. It's important yeah. to have that, yeah. have that network of support of just real human being surveyors. You know, not just technical gods out there who can support you. You mentioned uh, Malcolm, our dear friend Malcolm Hollis. How did you? How did you get to know him? Well, he was my building surveying professor at Reading, so he would take us for building surveying units, and quite a lot of what he said would go over our heads. But you had, like in all in all universities, you're sitting in front of people that have got huge range of knowledge and it pays for you to try to understand what it is they're telling you and some of the exercises he he put us through seemed a little daft at the time but I now realize quite what they meant and he was very encouraging and I wanted to do a different type of survey pattern and a different type of survey model and so I thought well I'll I'll take it to him and he looked at it and he said you know what he says I wish quite a few more people would think like this he said, but you do understand that that's not the standard model. He said, but I will accept it. I'll take it on board. And I was so nervous to go to him with this. I thought he was literally going to throw it out the window. You know, I, I literally thought he's going to just say, don't you ever bring me anything like this. But he was so supportive. And, and, and then he was interested in what I was doing, where I was from, you know, what was going on. And yeah, I had unusual circumstances at the time. And he was just very encouraging. And uh, we sort of stayed in touch. He did um, also did a sort of case study weekend where a whole load of students went down to his house in Devon and he, we were able to survey his house. And it was great. It was great. And then when I um, graduated, 
I kept in touch with him by email and he was again very helpful and very very busy man but would always try to answer and then when I set up on my own I just dropped him an email to say just to let you know set up on my own and then a couple of months later about going I don't suppose you'd be interested in coming to do a, a project that I've had just start up which was a great big dilapidations case up in um, Woking and so Working workshop. <laughs> That's a dreadful geography. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. <laughs> Got completely wrong, completely wrong part of the country. That's typical of me as well. And yeah, started working with him and a couple of other guys on that. And and as the project went through, I ended up being the last man there. So I went through the whole project with him and sat on some of the um, discussion topics with him. Did some did a, basically did all the background work for him and, and sort of watched him present it, which was absolutely fascinating. And also some of the minds and the QCs that work at that sort of level, their brains are just amazing. I had to walk the QC around the entire site, and I have never met someone that picks up information so quickly and and runs it back to you so quickly. I was his brain was a massive sponge. But it was so incredible. And in fact, the guys who worked for the client side as well, it wasn't their specialism and also the way they picked up on it. Mm. But it was because of the way Malcolm presented it mm. and the way he also he held his corner. He wasn't going to be rushed. He was not going to be rushed at all. And nearly at all these meetings, they were saying, we need this deadline, we need this deadline. And he was going, it's not ready. You, you know, we are not going to do this piecemeal. This has to be done in one go. And he said, there's a very good reason for that. And um, it was just incredible. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's a very sad day when when he passed. And, yeah, it's very, very sad. But uh, a great inspiration and such an amazing experience he had in his life. Mm. And the way he went about it, I thought, was just incredible. I feel very privileged to have had a chat with him on an earlier podcast episode, which I'll put a link yeah. to in the, the show notes. And, yeah, it's funny when you meet somebody like that, because yeah. you could be quite intimidated yes. you know, by his experience. and, yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and well, he, could, he could be intimidating if you, you know, were but, on, but an absolute gent, very friendly. And, yeah. you know, when he popped up in the Surveyor Hub, you know, <laughs> Malcolm Hollis on Facebook. Yeah. Was, uh, really? Really? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, yeah. you know, he dropped me a note and just said, you know, this is fantastic. You know, we, sh- we should have done it sooner. And he'd, he'd pop in and sometimes post some random stuff, but usually yeah. lots of u- useful stuff. And he recorded two free webinars for students, which again, I'll put a link to, or you can access them. So through, people can yes. access them through the hub. And just to yeah. see the kind of the work that he did. But I think what you see is the, the passion that he had for mm-hmm. helping that, that whole sort of pay it forward we were talking about at the yeah. start. And what a legacy to have yeah. left. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it did instill me that it's as you go through your career, helping people along is part and parcel of it. It really is. Mm-hmm. I certainly got help on the way through, and now I sort of see it as my part to do that as well. You have to be a little bit careful about you know, not spreading yourself too thinly because that can become a bit problematic, and you can't let people down like that. You can't start them out on a route and then go, oh, actually, I'm a bit busy now. Yeah, so, and, and I think you've got to be true to how you can help. You know, I I mentioned earlier about, you know, people asking me to mentor or find me a mentor, you know, and I I can't do those things. But what I can do within my skill set and the time that I've got is is do a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's now a global podcast. (laughs) 
And well, yeah, and also you you can look around at the people. I mean, you inspire me when you knew you've gone on to the general council. I think the governing council. I think that's amazing. I think it's an amazing thing to have done. I think that's fascinating. And I like the reasoning why you've done it, because you've got a curious mind too. And it's this curiosity of wanting to know why things are the way they are, uh, help people. And I think this is what I find people come from different walks of life into surveying. The key thing is that curiosity. But that curiosity varies from where you've come from. People are curious about different things. So that's what makes it such a rich tapestry and, and why there isn't really any one single answer to this. You know, there is no real one way of writing a report. We're all going to write them differently and we're all going to say different things. I find that I try and put myself in the mind's eye of my client and try and work out what matters to them. And whilst you sometimes have to say things to people, which is technically true, you don't want to scare them. And that's something I'm working on at the moment, trying not to scare them. And not to scare your clients. Exactly. But they have to be said, yeah. you know, because you... Yeah. And I think I find that as a problem. The more I learn, the more I know, the more I feel I have to put it in this survey. But then you're thinking, well, in the great scheme of things, is that then going to matter? Yeah. But it's that's the tricky one. That is the tricky one. Jeff, it's I, been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you today. Thank you ever so much for coming on the lovely. podcast. Yeah, lovely to talk to you. listening if you haven't already you can sign up to hear the latest surveyor hub news by joining the mailing list at lovesurveying.com and don't forget to leave me some feedback and let me know your key takeaways from today's podcast next time i have a women in surveying special edition podcast for you you are not going to want to miss it see you next time